you're listening to Relatable Rules, uh, which is different than Good Brews, Bad Views, the podcast that asks, does good beer make bad movies any better? Um, related note, Max, we do need to come up with like a catchphrase for this podcast yeah. because I go to say something and then it just sounds like a big old mess. So instead, it just turns into this ramble of how we don't have a podcast slogan yet. So hello, yeah. Yeah. welcome back to Relatable Roles, where Max and I play tabletop RPGs with a lot of our friends, and it ends up being really, really cool. Um, we're really excited today because we are continuing on with our unofficial uh, interviewing game creators. Um, and we have Chris here of Hectic Electron Games. Uh, hi, Chris. Hi. <laughs> hi, it's great to be here. Listeners will know um, Chris of, of Hectic Electron Games from... Uh... Raccoon Sky Pirates, a game we recently played with uh, a number of our friends and had a grand old time doing so. So Chris has decided to take some time out of his schedule to come and talk with us on our little yes, podcast we, operation. Which we really appreciate, especially after I just like very randomly reached out on Twitter like, hey, I really oh, liked your game. Lovely. Do you want to be on this random podcast and talk about it? Heck yeah. Claire, I know you're like new to the whole running the podcast game, but that's literally how most podcasting works. It's just messaging people being like, hey, do you want to come talk to me about stuff? And people are usually like, yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's literally what happened with Greg and Caleb and um, most of the guests on my other podcast. So That's true, but I am not a white man, so I don't have that like ingrained within me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't have the podcasting gene. I'm slowly getting it, but I was not, it is not innate, so I'm getting mm. there. Um, but yes, we're super pumped to have Chris here today. We're really excited to talk about Raccoon Sky Pirates, you know, tabletop RPGs in general, Chris's game designing experience and the, the perils of publishing, um, and, and kind of some new stuff he has coming down his own personal pipeline. But first, Chris, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Because Hi. all they know of you is Chris. <laughs> yes, I'm Chris Sellers. My, um, I'm a queer game designer living in Columbus, Ohio. I, I'm a web developer uh, in my day job, um, but I love games and I love designing games. Um, and yeah, I'm Hectic Electron Games, like you said. Yes, we love cool. queer game designers even more so. This is making me so happy. Um, so I guess the if you haven't listened to our Raccoon Sky Pirates episode yet, first pause this and go back and listen to it because it's very, very fun, very, very chaotic, and you'll have a little bit more context for what we're about to talk about. Um, but I think, Max, you were the one who found the game. Um, yeah. You texted it to me very randomly in the middle of like a random day. You're like, look at this game. We need to play it. And it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, I was listening to um, Real Playing Public Radio, uh, ran by a friend, Ross Payton, who we had on ages ago for Operation Obfuscate for Delta Green. And um, he and Caleb were just talking about a random about random stuff at, the, at a, a conclusion of one of their episodes. And he, like, you know, talked about it for, like, five minutes. And I'm like, this game sounds like fun. So I was like, Claire, you like raccoons. And uh, it just kind of went from there. And here we are. Yeah. So I mean, it kind of scratched all of my, like, weird niche issues. Like, raccoons, love them. Chaos, love it. Not having to make decisions before the decisions need to be made triple love it because i don't have to plan in advance um so for those of you who haven't played raccoon sky pirates which first of all go play it uh it's amazing uh it is a super fun um I mean, gm-less game there is someone who kind of helps move things along and and keep things to the storyline and make sure people are drawing and putting away cards when necessary but for the most part it runs just with everyone interacting everyone plays a raccoon out of a uh, junkyard and we are in a spaceship that we have constructed moving across the vast landscape of suburbia, uh, office parks, grocery stores, mega marts to try and break into someone's suburban home, steal all of the treasure we can, and then hopefully make it back to the junkyard without exploding. Um, Chaos ensues uh, at pretty much every turn. Um, but Chris, I'm going to let you expand on this too. But one of the, the coolest aspects of the game is that, I mean, you're a raccoon. You don't have a lot of forethought or planning abilities. So for the most part, you don't know what you're going to do until you roll to do it, which makes it incredibly fun to work those into the storyline. So I'll let you kind of explain that mechanic because obviously you should be very proud of it. 
Thank you. You said it really well. Uh, that's it. You're a raccoon. You don't know what you're going to do from one moment to the next. So you roll to see what you do. What you do is always effective, but sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not helpful. And um, so you, you pick an approach. Uh, every raccoon has three adjectives that define them, that define three different approaches. And you roll to see what you, you know, you, you have a list of 12 actions. You roll to see what you do. And if it's tagged with the approach you picked, which is like a 50-50 chance, it's helpful, yay. Uh, if, it, if it's not, it still happens, but it's, it's causing problems. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just that. And, and every raccoon has a different number, set of numbers on the roll that will be helpful. So you could trade dice if you want to. Um, it's, yeah. When problems happen, that means that either the residents are closer to waking up, or the ship is closer to exploding. And you can you can play cards in a limited way to try to keep that from happening. That's really just borrowing trouble or putting trouble <laughs> off for the future. Yeah, exactly. Because so, yeah. we had that happen where we were like playing complication cards because we were trying to like get onto the house in general. And then by the time someone eventually failed a role that had already played a card, we're like, oh, by the way, now this has fallen off of the ship. And oh, by the way, now we made a ton of noise. Oh, now the cat noticed. But one of the raccoons is going to make like a deal with the devil with the family cat and take the grate off of the family aquarium so that the cat can get to the fish. That that was my favorite um <laughs> that was part the best of part. Yeah. yeah. I, I did like that uh, that thing I came up with. That was fun. Mephistopheles, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, um, awesome. But the the entire mechanic of not having direct control over what your character is trying to do and just rolling to see if they can do it or not do it, as you would see in pretty much most all other RPGs. Like that's a that was a very nice um, refresher to playing RPGs. Of you know, it's not a pass fail. It's a I'm going to do it, but will there be consequences or not? Which is a lot more... <laughs> you do the thing, but does it actually help you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad it scratches that itch. It's, it ended up being a, 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 a thing that hasn't been done much. So, so in that way, I, it's, I guess it's a little innovative that, that just... And, and I was sweating bullets over it, too, because I was like, uh, well, we'll get into this some more, but... Um, the I, I, I thought I had a complete game when I started the Kickstarter. And after I finished the Kickstarter, I played tested a few more times. I was like, this game is falling apart if it's not with exactly the right people. And so that's when I was like, oh, do I need to get rid of this mechanic where you don't know what you're going to do? And, um, and fortunately, I was able to keep it. I was talking to sort of a mentor of mine in game design who was like, you said this was about not knowing what you're going to do. That's the whole idea. You can't just scrap it. I mean, she said you can scrap it, but but like, but why would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, right, you, right. you have a completely different game if you didn't have that that mechanic, which I think is like the cornerstone of everything in the in the game. Is is that um, that use of the D twelve, the redheaded stepchild of dice? Yes, the loneliest die. I love yes. the D twelve. I don't know. I why. love being I, able to use it. <laughs> but like, uh, um, adding in the approaches made that actually work. So there's actually some, since it's GMless, there's some external system saying whether it's helpful or not. GMless is uh, hard, turns out, especially if you're telling a linear plot. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so so I'm glad that worked. That was that was really great. Yeah, and I know, like, I also like that there wasn't, you know, a specific classic like big big bad evil guy that you knew going in. You're like, I have to fight this person and it's going to be a whole thing like the 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 mini evil guys kind of appear throughout the playing of the game um kind of individually throughout these different scenes like i know i'm trying to remember what happened on the way there or the way back we had like a big uh kerfluffle with like the chemical plant oh, that we needed cool. to like yeah that was on the way back we needed to yeah. explode our way out of um mm -hmm. You know, like dealing with the the cat, <laughs> like became yeah. kind of like the the deal with the devil, you know, cliche. I would like to see the cat become a reoccurring character if we ever return in that game. The cat's just yeah. always in the house, no matter where you go. Um, we like, but... Yeah, we come up with like a deal with him. Like he helps us, we help him. There's like weird deals yeah. we can make, and and it kind of going, cost. yeah. yeah. 
And going off that, I like how it is, you know, structured kind of as, you know, a one shot. You know, you pick up the game, you play it, and then you're done. Yay. But it's 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 also easy and it leads into making more of a longer term. I don't know if campaign is necessarily the right word because it's, you know, kind of separate adventures, but you can kind of create more of an overarching story. And, you know, upgrading your ship every time you start a new adventure and, you know, maybe you try a different house so that changes how things happen. And the neighborhood watch is aware of us now. So that adds a whole nother layer of like needing to be sneaky. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 It's in there. It's it's uh, it's definitely uh, really it's probably spotlight. It's the one shot, but you could definitely improve your ship, improve your raccoon, improve your raccoon at the, the, the uh cost of other raccoons you know uh yeah yeah this all happened when i um i think it was 2020 fall of 2020 when the dogs woke us up and uh uh there was some sort of big thing going on on the other side of the second floor outside door so it just goes out to a a a, a balcony and um i was half asleep and i looked through the window i couldn't see anything uh, but my partner was like, there were like a dozen raccoons on the balcony, just sort of picking up things and looking at them and putting them down and, you know, crapping in the flower pots. And, 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 and one of them was like trying to get inside the door and our dogs were, were huffing raccoons through the crack at the bottom of the door. Just <laughs> so excited. And, and, you know, so, so I was just thinking like, well, what, what would have happened if they'd actually got in? But the thing is they also sounded so, organized as as far as raccoons go like yeah like i i maybe because i was half asleep i was picturing them kind of climbing down an anchor chain from some ship flying ship down to our our balcony uh like some sort of uh a uh, uh, commando troop or, or well pirates so yeah, yeah uh um but i think because i missed it because i didn't see it and my partner's like they were all over the place. How could you not see them? You know, uh, I think that's why I had to make this up because. Yeah. 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 The, the human, the human imagination will come up with a better, you know, idea than any, uh, any, any reality can. So. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, and I guess it is the question of like, so where did this game come from? And well, there you have it. Yeah. Raccoons were assaulting the homestead. I yeah. Yeah. And it's just really hard to imagine a raccoon knowing what they're gonna do. Like, yeah, yeah. Like they're they're just instruments of pure chaos. They just mm -hmm. happen to be really cute, so we're all with okay with hands. it, like as a society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know why we do that. <laughs> Apparently, in Michigan, you're only allowed to like hunt and kill raccoons if they are a making mischief or b about to make mischief. So that's all the time. That's pretty that's, wide. <laughs> yeah. <that's>, yeah. <laughs> like I. I, I, I Sorry, go ahead. I, was say, I feel like that's just a definition of a raccoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were—they had that glint in their eye. They were about to create this. <laughs> yeah. I when I was making the game, I learned about Toronto. You guys know about Toronto and their raccoon problem. It's apparently Raccoonopolis. And vaguely, vaguely. I remember hearing something about Toronto and raccoons, but not not how many not not a lot of details about it. There's a there, there's a radio show I think it's 99% Invisible that talks about how the city of Toronto was was besieged by raccoons and tried to make a raccoon-proof trash can uh, or oh, compost yeah. bin compost bin and 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 yet it still had to be able to be opened by with one hand by people and they just said something like the overlap between the smartest raccoon and the dumbest person is really large. The raccoons totally, anyway, yeah, spoiler. I mean, that totally makes sense. <laughs> got into all these compost bins and they, yeah, there's, there's still a problem there. Or, or a feature. It's not yeah, a, a feature. <laughs> it's, it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember. So we, I like that we each had, like, specific raccoon goals that we were trying to accomplish. Um, mine was to get a Roomba and a knife so that I could duct tape them together and rule the <laughs> junkyard. From my stabbing Roomba throne, I know Caleb <laughs> was uh, his raccoon's backstory that he like one time accidentally found cotton candy uh, and praised the sugar cloud, but then he kept it outside when it rained. Oh. So his his goal was to find cotton candy in like a jar to keep it in. Oh. No one, no one believed him that it, that it existed. <laughs> oh, Robert 
Robert stole the dog. Robert stole the family <gasps> dog. That was his yep. goal. Because um, yep. he wanted to ride it around. Um, yep. and he succeeded I, somehow. Yep. I don't I, remember I, how. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember exactly how. But uh, I'm, and my goal was to steal something as big as myself. So I stole like the, the entire stereo set of the house and used nice. the bulldozer blade to push it out of the push it out of the wall. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great! Oh, that sounds like such a great game. That's yeah. Awesome. And, yeah, and I think yeah, part and, of yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Max. <laughs> I was saying like you you were you were saying Claire how like there's no big bad evil guy of the campaign or the scenario other than um like the homeowners or the neighborhood watch, but it's like no. The greatest enemy to any player character, aside from scheduling a game itself, is the player's actions themselves. Because yeah. that is what causes the downfall of any RPG group. Exactly. Yes. So, but this, I mean, we, game... we made it back to the junkyard, so... Oh, amazing. Okay. <laughs> barely. Barely. Very, very barely, but we made it. Um, but, I mean, going into that, we obviously played through Discord as we are still in a pandemic. And we have friends across the country that we want to play games with. Um, and one of the things I know we really appreciated about this game was just the massive amount of online content you have for this game. Um, you know, there's a the gigantic Google Doc with, you know, each tab being a different facet of the game and, you know, updating things on one page will change what needs to be changed on other pages. There's maps with the little circles we can drag around. There's the ship construction page. Like, what I guess... That you said you kind of came up with this idea in 2020 was did did that feed into your desire to create kind of this massive online basically interactive players guide definitely i uh, absolutely um it was yeah it was not in the before times so <laughs> but i'm i'm also part of the gauntlet role playing community which is all online uh i don't know if you know them but they're fantastic and it's it was really just what I needed when the pandemic came around. Um, and they have a huge library of these Google Sheets uh, character keepers, as they call them, like pepper keepers, uh, that that um, has a tab for safety tools, a tab for characters, uh, a, a tab for other stuff. So I got a leg up from that and, and sort of, you know, they, they certainly raised the bar for that. Yeah, because um, it was super and, and helpful for all, all of us. Online too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad. Yeah, uh, and I think that we're seeing more and more of um, of that from other uh, RPGs um, that are coming out right around these days. Whether or not they started development like before or during the pandemic, like it's nice to have those online resources, so it's easy to kind of navigate um, that kind of stuff, and it makes just playing and running the games a lot easier. Just having like having all the cards be digital. Um, and not having to carry them around and such, or pretty much just like sneaking a phone and, you, and then you, you pretty much can play it wherever with whomever and dice rollers are easily available either online or as an app or as a, you know, command within chat. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's easier than ever to play, um, to play RPGs. Yeah. yeah and I know it's, it's, it's not a difficult game to play at all. Like, and that was part of its appeal was that we could pick it up after reading the book and like, we felt ready to play. But it, it would have been a lot more difficult, like having to kind of create all of that, you know, notepad situation and making sure we're getting all of the, the aspects right on everything would have made that a lot more difficult, especially virtually. Um, so we we really appreciated seeing all of that. Oh, awesome. OK, great. Yeah. I mean, I I the, the maps actually uh, that are online are bigger than the maps in the first edition of the game. Um, so, you know, and, and there's, like you said, there's little circles you can drag around as, as tokens. So, yeah, there are definitely some things that the online version has that the uh, game, especially the first edition, didn't have. Yeah, and, and talking about editions, I know you mentioned to us that you have um, kind of an updated version with some updated rules coming out. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what people can expect out of that versus if they yeah. have the first edition? I've, I've actually got them now. I've got, like, uh, uh, hundreds of them. Um, <laughs> Uh, and like you know, you yeah. I mentioned the Kickstarter. Just I've become also the fulfillment guy as well as the designer, you know. And so like I've got all these boxes all over my room. But yeah, uh, uh, it is. It it it's just better organized and better explained. Like I people who are familiar with story games and role playing games in general have had a great time with the first edition. But uh, people who are not were really lost. So, so I made a new zine 
that is uh, uh, just just organized so much better and, and explains things and just gets into brass tacks. Like this is the first game I ever, you know, made soup to nuts. So yeah. it was the whole game. So I didn't really, you know, it's just a totally different way of thinking of like, how do you explain something clearly and concisely? But I also um, took the, took all the playable sheets out of the zine and put them into these loose leaf one-sided sheets so that you can just play them. And it includes the, uh, each floor of each house has its own eight and a half by 11 sheet. So oh, wow. it's a lot better for, <laughs> you know, you still have to get your own bottle caps or whatever and <laughs> around. Uh, but that seems rather raccoon to me. Uh, yes. uh, um, and just like the first edition, it has uh, the deck of complication cards and it has that uh, 12 sided die. You know, as much as I love making stuff available online for tons of reasons, like you guys were saying, I'm also in love with the material components. So mm -hmm. like, you know, the whole thing comes in a white mailer box. It's got the raccoon cover on the outside. And like, I, you know, I, I'm a sucker for this stuff. A little raccoon yeah. on the, where the 12 would be for the die. Um, uh, but, but yeah, so the big thing that changed is just the organization, the explanation, like actual illustrations that explain what's on the cards and where the problem tracks are and all this stuff. Um, uh, a fuller uh, example of play. And and then those playable sheets. So it's actually it's a little heavier now uh, uh, to mail, but it's worth it because it's just so much more playable outside out of the box. It has all eighteen characters, you know the the cockroaches the, uh, and everyone the else and, and, the, and the pigeons <laughs> and the roaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know. Obviously, Max and I went into this both having played a a pretty significant amount amount of of all flavors of RPGs mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. So we. You know, have a have a leg up when it comes to rule understanding because we've definitely played things that are complex and open and and <laughs> opaque and and very difficult to kind of parse through. Uh, I'm sure Max even more so than me because he's jumped into some of the really weird stuff. Um, oh wow, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, especially from a storytelling standpoint, like I don't like in a lot of ways. This reminded me of dueling fops, but instead of uh, a fancy fencer, uh, <laughs> raccoons. So I think a lot of those kind of fantastical storytelling games really strike my fancy. <laughs> I don't know this game. What's it called? Fancy dueling fops of Vindemir by uh, Greg Stoltze. Okay, it's another like um, kind of like self-published game. It's it's another storytelling game basically. Um, okay. it, it involves um, every every character plays a different uh, fencer in this kind of like renaissance era fictional town and you have this ongoing story of who the best fencer in the uh city is and a lot of just right. um mishaps yeah. and uh romantic escapades happening it would you expect people who have you know rapiers and pencil thin mustaches um you know awesome. prancing around and such like that but but yeah storytelling games i think are definitely having a moment now is like they are typically more rules light so it's easier for people to pick them up and um so you know to play and then you can come up with like the, the the stories that happen within those games are easier to explain or or what really sticks with you um when you're playing a game um like cause when i think about the times that claire and i've been around a role, role playing table whether it's been here or irl a couple times like we have stories from our our times gaming together and such like i'm sure uh you do chris but the mechanics of the storytelling game clearly flow into those stories that we have not not, not a um a byproduct of um mm -hmm. mechanical um, aspects of the game and such so we're story first not mechanics first yeah 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 because yeah, i think like yeah. a lot of times like when it comes to more traditional tabletop rpgs like that's where i like as a personally get a little more stuck because i'm like you know if i'm playing D D, like D D has been around forever and i'm playing you know this specific type of character and i'm like oh no like this is how i want to react but is this legitimate mm -hmm. in the context of who this character is and what the situation is but like in a lot of these storytelling games like i'm a raccoon like i'm gonna do whatever i want because that's what a raccoon would do and it's not going to be any ill effects on the story because it's just going to continue it's it's more like drama and intrigue and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, to add to this growing story, so I I yeah. find them very fun and like a breath of fresh air because there's a lot less like let me check all three of these sheets I have out in front of me mm -hmm. to make sure that I have this spell and it will do this plus this dice amount of damage and it's 
sometimes it's just nice to chill and just roll a d12 <laughs> and talk about stealing a Roomba. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. I. I. I'm, I'm so in love with these games. The the, the story games. PBTA and everything that it made possible. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I, I love that where, where it's like, you're telling a story with each other and then sometimes you need to stop and let the mechanics do their thing as opposed to you're, you're playing the mechanics and it might eventually give you an emergent story moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, it's a fair balance between, between the two of those things. Mm -hmm, but, um, mm -hmm. So obviously you don't just decide one day you're going to design an RPG, unless maybe you do. Um, so Chris, what's your background as far as RPGs go? Like what games did you start playing or what inspired you that being like, hey, maybe I can do this myself someday? I got like the AD&D first edition monster manual for Christmas when I was like 12 and was enthralled and had no idea what it meant and really struggled for years to ever actually play a coherent game um uh that didn't that wasn't just jokes uh, like that had some drama to it and um then got back into it after college when uh, i was uh just met up some great guys uh, through work and we started playing a whole bunch of different games really trad games, Top Secret and Shadowrun, and um, was just smitten, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And it, um, I, so anyway, I, I, you know, I love the make-believe world. I, I, I'm too anxious for the real world, I think. And um, so that, that's really great. But it took me a while. I think it took until Powered by the Apocalypse and, Night Witches and Monster Hearts and these games to really make me feel like there was an engine there for creating stories. And anyway, I, I've I've styled myself as a creative person since I was a kid and was into comics for a long time, wanted to make comics. And eventually, I think I just sort of got everything out of that that I was going to. But I was... Uh, really swept up in the self-publishing movement in comics in the 90s with Bone and Art Babe and a whole community of people. And ever since then, I think I've really been focused on, I'm going to make something, you know? And the great thing about game design, I have an older brother who's a game designer and he, he's designed a lot of video games. And, uh, and he got me into the video game business for better and worse. Uh, <laughs> but the the great thing about game design is that you are designing, there's a lot of room for your brain to go to town on systems that interlock and help each other out and create space for emergent things to happen. And I think once I get away from the stress of the real world, which unfortunately I'm really not always rated for, uh, there's a lot of room in there to experiment and go to town and have a great time. So I think I always, when I played games, I wanted to run them. And when I started running games, I wanted to start making them. And I've fortunately fallen in with some great communities that are all about creating games, like the Gauntlet, like a creative uh, sort of coaching group that I'm part of called the Autonomous Creative Collective. And that has been really great for helping me work out the systems necessary for sustained creative practice. Mm -hmm. Like, just to be able to sift through all my ADHD and sit down at the computer or stand, if sitting's too much, and um, have the space in my schedule, in my life, to actually make something. And getting that figured out has been just a huge weight off my shoulders because I, I don't know why I want to make stuff. Maybe because I'm bipolar, you know, <laughs> and I'm just a little bit manic sometimes, and I just want to. Uh, anyway, it's been very rewarding. So the, the feedback loop has been very positive. <laughs> Good. I mean, hopefully we're feeding into that right now. Because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so is Raccoon Sky Pirates uh, the first game that you've kind of done the complete design of, with, you know, mm -hmm. started with an idea and ended with a complete game? Like, did, mm -hmm. Were you doing facets of other games beforehand, or was this really like the first launch into it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've written a bunch of 
Hellbrain Gumshoot games for cons. Mm. I wrote a module for Dungeon Crawl Classics that you can get out, out there. You can get on my website, actually. Um, and that was really fun because I did all the art for it and got it printed up. So there's, there's a physical copy uh, as well as a PDF. And I did like a hack book for Hellgreen's Ashen Stars that is all about being criminals. So, you know, there's some overlap between it and scum and villainy. <laughs> yeah. but it's, yep. it's very much in this gumshoe uh, vein, which I have just fell in love with that company too. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, they make great stuff. Yeah. So the hack book was like half of an RPG, you know, or maybe a third, but it was a it was like a significant chunk of a standalone game. You still need their game to play it, but it got me closer to seeing, okay, what would it take to actually make a whole game? Mm-hmm. And then I was still wrong. I was, <laughs> you know, it was still a lot more than you think, which is it's not bad. It's great. Um, but then the Kickstarter was really in February 2021 was really the uh, time when I was like, it's just a zine. I can do a zine. I can do <laughs> just a little game. And of course, there was scope creep and it became this whole box set thing. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, it was wonderful. Yeah, and obviously you you did it all yourself through the design phase and the Kickstarter mm-hmm. and then f- through there. So what what kind of, obviously there's a ton of challenges in game design, whether you're doing it independently or whether you're doing it, you know, through a parent company, corporation, conglomeration, what have mm-hmm. you. But what kind of, you know, challenges did you face in this pro and like throughout the process? And if now looking back... Is there anything that you did differently for doing this newest edition or anything that you would, you know, yeah. never do again for future games you're working on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can be so excited to see the final product that you start writing the drafts in the layout program. And that's a rookie mistake. <laughs> but it's so, I've heard that other people do this too. It's so easy to fall into, I think, because you're just in love with the idea of the final thing, but it needs to be like a Google doc or several Google docs or something. And then it needs to have so much more playtesting than I had thought. And yeah, it's gotten me a you, lot less shy about that. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that like you almost scrapped like the biggest mechanic of the game during playtesting. Yeah. Like what, what happened with that? Because obviously we, we loved it and I'm glad we're so glad it stayed <laughs> since it's kind of the core of the game. But like what was so, dramatically terrible in playtesting that almost made you lose that key aspect. Um, GM-less games need a lot more structure than a GM game because you're kind of putting the a lot of the responsibilities of the GM onto the system. So it's like a, a robot that mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. take out someone, of the game. And someone still has to uh, someone still has to steer the skyship, even if there isn't <laughs> a, a captain of it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's a little bit like programming, uh, writing a kind of thing to enforce the story or keep, not enforce, but keep the story going. So when it's not a group of experienced story gamers, there there was, at, at first it was just, you don't know what you're going to do when you roll to see what you do, but there was nothing to say, was that helpful or was it disastrous? I was relying on the people to be like, oh, well, this causes a whole world of problems people who know that problems drive stories forward. And when it's not people like that, when it's people who are kind of like more used to a board game, waiting to see, be told what happens, you really have to put that in there. So I really had to rack my brains to do a thing that keeps it random, but is, 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 is telling you how to evaluate your role. And then that would be like your your approach and then whether or not what you roll mm-hmm. matches that approach. So before mm-hmm. that existed, was it just like the one to 12 and then the actions written out and you kind of had to like judge for yourself whether or not it was helpful or unhelpful? Yeah, okay. yeah. And every raccoon had yeah. the same list of 12 things, uh, which I also realized very quickly that people got really into their characters. And I didn't wasn't thinking of it that way for some reason because they're just raccoons, but no, raccoons are so much, they're so everything. So that was really rewarding actually making the different lists for the different raccoons that really helped define the character. But yeah, the the um, having those approaches 
tagging each action, that changed everything. And yes, then, of course, that, I know we really like approaches. that. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Glad, yeah. yeah. It, and it, like having those approaches, I think, really helped flesh out like each raccoon. Um, like, because we all pretty much fell in love with our characters pretty quickly throughout the yeah. game. And um, awesome. like after playing the one shot, it's like, all right, well, I want to play more games with these characters now that all the, now that the four of us have kind of learned about this character, what they've gone through, and where they're going to go through next. Like, like what is Vivian? Was it Vivian? Is that your character's name, Claire? Yeah, I think uh, the, the, the oh, V uh, name, Verissa. Yeah, yeah. What is Verissa going to do now? Now that she has the um, the Roomba with the knife attached to it and such, and <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, and what stories come from that or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think I another aspect of the approaches that I really liked is that you know once you decided on your approach, if your action wasn't helpful because you stated what approach you were going into that action doing, it kind of helped guide you on how to tell the story of how it was unhelpful. Because if I was, you know, doing something YOLO, then that's <laughs> obviously going to play out in how I explain how the action wasn't helpful. So I'm not just like, ah, I just didn't do it, I guess. Like, it helped me be like, oh, no, like, I thought I was going to do something really cool, so I jumped off the roof because I was YOLOing, but then I missed, and now I'm stuck head first in the birdbath. Like, yeah. it, awesome. it kind of really helps guide the storytelling on both ends. So I think adding awesome. that in in your playtesting was super valuable. Um, oh, good. Yeah, that, and, and I hope yeah. that it's in a concise way, you know, that it, yeah. it, it, it fleshes out the character, but, but quickly, so you don't yeah. spend a lot of time. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, so then, so obviously you put it on Kickstarter, you yep. made it through the Kickstarter phase, you started doing the play testing. Um, oh, what all, I know, because, and then, you know, you were talking about your, your scope creep. Does the scope creeping yes. occurring, you know, during the Kickstarter? Was it post-Kickstarter? Yes. Was it all well, of that? So, so I had play tested it a little bit before the Kickstarter, which is why I thought, oh, I have a complete game. Yeah. But I, it was, at first, a six-page zine, and of course, six is not a number of pages that works for actual pages because it has to be multiple before. But anyway, I had this thing. And when the Kickstarter happened and I funded quicker than I thought I would, I was like, I need stretch goals. And I play tested enough by then to know that that the cards were probably going to be a thing because they added more direction and more uh, flavor to this each action. Right. And so I was like, okay, stretch goal. Well, first, uh, the first couple of stretch goals were modifications to the rules, especially to try to make it more rewarding for repeat play. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll get to those, but I won't get to the deck of cards or the, I certainly won't get to the 12-sided die. That I'll never get to those stretch goals. So I did. And another rookie mistake, I said, everybody who pledged at the, the zine level is going to get the cards and the die. I was high on Kickstarter fumes and I was in love with everybody who was loving my game. You know, it's a big love fest. <laughs> and then the Kickstarter wraps and you're like, oh, I have to make it. And turns out that shipping costs, which I had allowed for, I'd allowed for shipping costs for an envelope that contains a zine. But if you're actually shipping a deck of cards and a die, you need a box. And so the shipping costs got bigger and, um, and every elder said, don't make the shipping costs bigger. You know, don't forget about shipping costs. And I was like, I've got it. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't got it. Uh, it but, I mean, but, it, yeah. in your defense, no one had it. I mean, I've gotten so <laughs> right? many emails from Kickstarters over the last two years saying like, yeah, shipping costs have gone up 20 to 30% from what I had budgeted for two years ago. So, I mean... Yeah. I ate the shipping. You're costs. not along. Yeah, I was and, happy to do that. And 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 then the people who bought stuff on Backer Kit, the more realistic shipping costs were baked into that. Um, but you know, I do love all the players, so yeah. I want to give them all the cool stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> it's been great. And, and and for the 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 high level backers, I made uh, illustrations, like a drawings of rec raccoons, and that was really hard. I, I've been drawing for a long time, but uh, it was still very, very hard. So I don't know if I'll do that again. Did you Did you do all the art in the in the rule book? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. My scratchy style kind of I think was well suited to the raccoons. I don't. I, I think yeah. I'll try to get somebody else for my next game. 
Yeah. So, I want that to be Lux. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of next games, what kind of stuff yeah. are you working on? Okay, well, uh, this queer sword and sorcery game, Defy the Gods. I love this so much already. and I know nothing about the game other than that one sentence <laughs> description, and I'm already sold. So. I was going to make it GMless, but it, no, it needs a GM. Certain kinds of stories are good for GMless, and this one isn't. But it's, it's, it, it's, of course, infused with my childhood memories of Conan the Barbarian and Beastmaster mm-hmm. and uh, Clash of the Titans and, and all that. But I'm really, really trying to make it, well, no, I'm, I am making it not misogynist, not homophobic, definitely not homophobic, going to make it as gay as possible, and not Orientalist and all this stuff. You know, there's so much, oh my God, sword, sorcery, sword and sorcery has a problem, you know? Like the, the the Conan comics, sticking their foot in it. I don't know what is wrong with people, but like it's terrible. It, it, it's it's full of horrible stuff. But I also love the genre. I love kind of the little alleyways I imagined in the city in Clash of the Titans. Like all the weird little moments where you're like, uh, James Earl Jones turning into a snake. Now that just happens. Mm-hmm. I, and so I love all the ambient weirdness and I love queer coded villains and how sorcery is always queer coded. And I just want to make all of it queer coded. The beautiful uh, uh, sword fighter with an amazing body and the mystic sort of priest dude or person who is kind of at the mercy of the gods in a really kinky way. and. Um, <laughs> And the, and the sorcerer, of course. And you know what? What was a real turning point for me was rewatching Princess Mononoke by Hayao Miyazaki, mm. by Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli, and watching that and realizing, oh, this is sword and sorcery, and it's so much better than Conan. It's it's got love in it, and she's kind of a furry, and <laughs> and this ecological thing. So I want to bring in. There's 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 really a sense in Princess Mononoke of a world forces in the world that are uh, antagonistic to each other that are fighting over whose world it will be, mm-hmm. and I want to have that in the game where it's the city versus the wilds, and the gods versus sorcery, which is powerful enough to overthrow them, and really work out these different axes that the world rotates on to give the players a sense of agency of like we can decide what kind of world this is going to be and really have that and really get the sense of, of doom that's in a lot of sword and sorcery of like death is the world of the dead is crowding around you, but you're also kind of reaching for glory and, and just make it weird, 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 weird. Uh, I mean, as two people who play a lot of Delta green, we like weird, weird, weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, I think, well, I, I think fantasy in itself and RPGs that are, themselves are, at the best, at their best, when they are weird, and you have, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of those um, dichotomies, whether it's like nature versus industry or magic versus technology. Um, uh, the, like, th- those make for some like very interesting um, games, and um, can have some, uh, you know, some really cool stories you can tell in, in those kind of worlds and such. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, and I don't want to problematize chaos. You know, I mean. Yeah, there are problems with it, but there's problems with the order too. Yeah, I just want to problematize all the the order, the straight stuff, the heteronormative stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't think that gets problematized enough. Uh, Max, quick aside, what was the like Sword and Sorcery Barbarian Brothers movie we had to watch? Because I, oh, um, I think it was just called The Barbarians. It was just called The Barbarians. Wow. So, quick plug, because I think, Chris, you should watch this movie. It's yeah. awful. It's terrible. But it's just, like, it's the Barbarian Brothers, like, being himbos in this sword and sorcery world. And, like, everything feels very queer-coded. Um, everything like, is just over- now. No. I have to watch this. It's yeah, just, I... you, you dropped two pro wrestlers in the middle of a sword and sorcery movie, and it feels like you did not give them a script or tell them the plot. And it's like the dichotomy in this movie and that is simultaneously incredible and the worst thing I've ever watched. So highly recommend if you're into just weird sword and sorcery stuff. 
oh, you're changing my life right now. <laughs> yeah. There is so much bad sword and sorcery out there. And it's also awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's really incredible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. It, it's, they... um, it is a, it is a, it is an enjoyable film. It's got that, like, that 1980s homoeroticism with their, you know, super muscular oil slicked men mm-hmm. and such. Um, and just like some really good character design and um, mm-hmm. like weird fantasy elements to it. Like I remember, Claire, do you remember the like the, the villain is like walking around in this giant palaquin that's being like carried yeah. by like 15 or 20 extras mm-hmm. in a couple scenes? Yeah, it's um, wild. Yeah, it's oh, it's wild. Okay. Yeah, there is a bit of um, there's power play in a lot of these stories, you know, yeah. there's like, uh, yes kneel down that I may use as a stool to get out of my planquin. Mm-hmm. You know, like like it's it's a little hot, I just gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like how 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 queer can we make something without actually saying it's queer? Cause like wink yeah. wink nudge nudge. Like this is you look a little bit below the surface. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean have you have you watched Red Sonia lately? <laughs> Gotta put that one on my list. Never did see Red Sonia or Conan Oh, you'll Conqueror. you'll uh, you'll you'll uh, get a kick out of Red Sonia. Awesome. Um, uh, yeah. Go on. Uh, so, is this game also going to go through the the Kickstarter pipeline, um, or is this something where it's like you've found kind know. of your audience, so you're going to try and just kind of more directly do it that way? You know, Kickstarters they've 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 gotten on the cryptocurrency or blockchain train and so that's a problem it has it's still an amazing marketing platform so if i have a choice i'll do game found or itch funding um but i don't know yet I'm, i'm still designing it um if i could do it just just make it and pay for it uh myself Okay, I probably can't do that, but that would be ideal, right? Yeah, yeah. and you know, things are changing quicker. But I'm sure by the time yes. this episode comes out, stuff's going to have dr- drastically changed from when we recorded this. So who knows? What you mean, crypto might right. fail again? <laughs> <laughs> right? No, it's true. Yeah, like people yeah. are taking a closer look at it. Who knows what's going to happen? I yeah. really want to get to a solid design by the end of the year, and since it's May already, I think that's ambitious enough yeah. <laughs> and then 2023 I'll, I'll figure out how to uh, fund it yeah but I want I want all these illustrations in it you know I want color in it I want it to be a, a, a book and if it's big enough make it hardbound but you know make it a, a thing that's really beautiful to hold and see flip through like I say I'm a sucker for all that yeah, I I, th- I think in a, it definitely when it comes to RPGs, like as convenient as it is to have the PDF to you know just pull up on a screen and flip through, there's fewer things I like having an actual copy of than role playing game books. Whether it's like the big honkin' book, you know, four hundred <laughs> pages, five hundred pages, or the smaller A three sized stuff that you know yeah. slips easy in, into the shelf, I can easily mm-hmm. you know throw it throw it throw it in my backpack or whatever. Um, yeah, like you're, they're just, they, they are works of art. Um, Claire and I just reviewed, um, Merkborg. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. that, like, cause, um, they finished their Kickstarter for Cyborg, which we'll be uh, talking about soon in the future. And like, I, I ordered the actual physical copies of those books because they're, they're gorgeous. They're stunning. Yeah. They're wild. I love it. It's like, it, it's, you know, maybe this is just how my, you know, also ADHD and <laughs> over analyzing brain works, but like it reading that book and just like how it was laid out and the colors and like what was it, 67 different fonts they used in the book, something, something like a that, wild yeah. number. Like it simultaneously felt like I was elated, but also having a panic attack. Like it was the most fun panic attack of my life because I didn't know how to feel reading this book, but I knew it was like. <laughs> so enthralling and so stunning <laughs> that like i couldn't look away oh that's great i don't own it i, I need to get it i need to get on the side train too that's that's amazing i think it was some jay dragon's stuff with wander home that i got that lesson of make the thing a beautiful artifact because that's another one that's just gorgeous to hold 
Yeah. Uh, Magpie does a lot of beautiful games too, like uh, Bluebeard's Bride. Oh God, that's that's the game I want Claire to see, just because that Real. that the the art in that game is it's gorgeous. One of the most beautiful role playing game books I've ever seen. It also made me very anxious. Right? <laughs> I, I enjoyed it, but it, you know, yeah. like because it is horror, and there's something anxiety making about some of those drawings. They're very detailed, yeah. very carefully that you, somebody has dwelt in this world. It's and I love that. Um, Dialect also a beautiful game. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that by Forney Games. Not, I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, but. it's lovely. Anyway, we don't have to go to that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does kind of answer our question of what other games are you excited about and enjoy. So you really did inadvertently <laughs> jump towards <laughs> that, could, which I appreciate. But no, I think okay. for for a game like that, I mean, think a lot of people, like Max was saying, when it comes to RPGs, love having that like beautiful piece of artwork. Because especially in in role playing games specifically. It's just, you know, by virtue of the game style, it's you're constantly referencing a rule book. You're con- you're like, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at your charts, you're looking at your your tables, you're double checking stats. So for something that you it feels like you're in and out of all the time and flipping back and forth between yeah. like I I think it that of any sort of of game or rule book is what lends itself to like a beautiful actual print copy because it's something that you are using it's not like you know a board game where if you play it once you know the rules you probably don't have to reference the rules again like who cares mm-hmm. if you have it like i've had to google games like rule games like that i've lost the rule book to because i didn't care because it was like a crappy piece of paper but i think mm-hmm. for things for games mm-hmm. like this, where you're constantly holding them and using them like it feels good to have like a really beautiful solid piece of media yeah yeah, yeah. my hat's really off to everybody who's done that so good. It's a gift, you know. Like you yeah. say, you keep looking at it. It's always yeah. Mm-hmm. That and just so, like yeah, other games, the yeah, artwork. Oh, sorry. I was like the artwork itself in those books is like also just very, very inspiring. Especially if you're, mm-hmm. you know, not dealing with a normal world, quote unquote. Um, just seeing mm-hmm. like these, you know, fantasy vistas with you know the characters in the foreground or some weird little magic item or, you know, uh a raccoon, you know, diving off of a <laughs> ship, you know, those are like, you know, get your mind going of like, this is the kind of game that I'm dealing with. These are the kind of stories that I hope to be able to tell with my own friends and such. But totally, um, I'm reminded of the this full page illustration in one of the AD&D books um, where it's a bunch of people walking down a, a stone staircase, rounding a corner and just or rounding a pillar, a big stone pillar. And in the pillar, there's a mouth talking and it's all lit by the torches and there's no explanation you have no idea but it they're coming out of darkness and they're going into darkness and there's this brief firelit moment and there's a mouth there talking to them and it's so weird but it is you can get lost in drawings like that and uh come out the other side into your character it can be great yeah i have a big crush on magpie games and evil hat games and of course, there's a bunch. Um, Bully Pulpit are, are great. So, so I love these games. Powered by the Apocalypse, of course, people are still bringing changes on that. And I really like how innovative they're getting. Little things they're adding into it. Ways where, like, Pasión de las Pasiones, there aren't stats. You roll with questions. It's hmm. amazing how much you can do. So I really like pushing the envelope of, I mean, if I can, you know, of, of what the mechanics are doing and maybe getting under the hood of something like Pirate by the Apocalypse or Forge in the Dark and pulling out some things and putting in other things so that there's something for your brain to geek out on too at the same time that your imagination or your heart is just falling in love with it. That, that would be the ideal experience. Anyway. Yeah. Awesome. No, I love that. I think that's yeah. a great <laughs> summation of everything that we've talked about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so as games are becoming are our games do you think games are becoming more or less more or less accessible? Are you creating them because you feel like the landscape needs more of these like fun basic storytelling games 
or do you feel since people are more playing them, there's more people willing to try out these smaller games as the as the hobby has really just blown up in the last couple yeah, of years? Absolutely. The the number of people who have never played a role playing game is so much bigger than the number of all of us who already love role playing games. So I, it's one of the things I really am proud of about the second edition of Racking Sky Pirates is that it is something that somebody who's never played the any of these role-playing games before could pick up and actually make sense of. So I totally want to reach out to people who haven't played them and kind of feel locked out, you know? I am forever impressed with the whole belonging outside belonging system that every author came up with because it has no jargon. It has no, no numbers. It has tokens and total player agency. So you're not giving over agency to randomness. You have everything you need to know to really grok your characters on one or two sheets. And you can see that she made something, there's no GM, so there's no power dynamic there. You can see that she really made something, as she said, designed for people that she was playing with who had never played before. You can sit down in a cafe in an afternoon and get the rules and, and, and get into playing. And so while I'm not making something with belonging outside belonging or no dice, no masters system. I really am always impressed by anybody who can pull that off. So I want to definitely make games that draw in people who, who just don't even know where to start. This should yeah. be an accessible hobby. It, it is yeah. a big time commitment and it is, it requires a lot of schedules to line up, but it, it's not that much more than playing a board game. You just start playing yeah. it more frequently. More yeah, I think this is something that I've you know talked about a few times on here in general. But I mean, other than playing D and D a few times in college, like I'm relatively a very late in life tabletop RPGer, and I like I didn't know of much by way of tabletop RPG, you know, outside of D and D because that's you know, the one that everyone knows about, yeah, and that's the it's one, the one that everyone everyone cuts yeah. their teeth on and like that's a hard game to cut your teeth on because there's it's multiple really... books um you know it yeah. comes with the baggage of being of like 40 years when, old yeah it's kind of like when someone recommends me a show to watch that has like 18 seasons mm -hmm. of 20 episodes each like no there's absolutely no mm -hmm. way I, I can't do that so like that's sometimes like and even someone who has now played D D many times like it feels like that's still a lot where i'm just like mm -mm, too much don't care like yeah. So yeah. I now that I've gotten, you know, a bit more into the cool club of tabletop RPGs, especially like thank you a million percent times over and over to Max, who has really gotten me into a lot of these things, like learning about the other games that are out there that to me are way more exciting and fascinating and intoxicating than D&D &D ever has been mm -hmm. for me. Like the the first time we ever played Delta Green, I was like, all right, this is it. This is my new favorite game. Like everything else can go away. Like this is real life X-Files. I get to be Scully all the time. This is perfect. Like shut the door, I'm done. So it's like being awesome. able to to be exposed to a lot of those. And I had never, you know, even really played a, a, a GM-less game until Max and I played um, another one of Greg Stolte's games, uh, Million Dollar Soulmate, um, uh, yeah. end of last year, which was super fun. And that's just, you know, a two-player GM-less game where you're deciding whether or not your random person you met is going to bring out the worst in you or bring out the best in you or whether or not you're going to murder each other on a boat or be in love forever. Awesome. Super yep. So, A very realistic yeah. dating simulator. Yes. So, <laughs> so being the, I've Star heard Cross? of Starcrossed, but I've I'm not I have not played it. No, you need a, a Jenga tower, but mm. love that already. <laughs> so great, it 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 borrows the Jenga tower mechanic from Dread the horror game, mm. and it is lovely. You play two people who really really want to be together and really really can't, and the in in a very short number of pages, it shows you all different ways that could be. You could be an ice elemental and a fire elemental. You know, you could be an astronaut and a fawn. Um, there's all these certain things, but it um, it has this mechanic where you're pulling out blocks from the tower every time you express your desire for the other person. <laughs> anyway, so you were talking about million dollar soulmate, and it just reminded me of that. Yeah. Um, 
See, so it's like, and I learn new games every day now, which like yeah. I have like a whole list of yeah. ones that you talked about that I feel super in the dark about. Oh, I gotta find, I gotta, go, like, I gotta find Million Dollar Soulmate and yeah. Dueling Fops. I, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't played those. The there's so much going on in role playing games right now. It is amazing, a little daunting actually. Yeah, it's read all the books, and it, it feels weird to like say anything like really like maybe something good did come out of the pandemic, but it feels like a oh, lot of. Oh. Like the explosions and the interest in tabletop RPG really did come from people being cooped up at home and like wanting something to do with their friends. Cause like I know, I mean, Max and I, like in the first summer lull, we had like a socially distanced outdoor in a friend's living room Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I know a ton of people who, you know, started playing over Discord or over Google Hangouts or Zoom just to have something to do. So I, I think, you know, if anything, Mm-hmm. game-wise good came out of the pandemic is that it really gave people a chance to to play some. That is good. And, you know, it's it's hard to find something so terrible that nothing good comes out of it. Right. <laughs> right. Some, yeah. It doesn't make the pandemic good to say that some good things came out of it. That makes us awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, yeah. You know, we, we weren't, you know, downtrodden and destroyed by the state of the world. We were kind of just soldiering on and trying to make the best of the world that we could so i think we've some amazing players yeah <laughs> and i think we've had a we've done a pretty good job of doing that so far i would say yeah so awesome. it feels like a very uplifting thing to to end an interview on yeah <laughs> chris yeah. did you have, did you have anything else you wanted to to add in that we i know we kind of like got off on tangents which was great but i didn't know I if there's it. anything we missed that you specifically wanted to talk about i love the tangents i would be remiss not to mention the awesome people in my Discord who have imagined things for Wrecking Sky Pirates I never could have conceived of, like a uh, randomized hex tile thing for getting to the house and getting back to the junkyard, which is now the only way they play. And it sounds awesome. Like you don't have a map of the neighborhoods, you're making the map with mm. hex tiles like Settlers of Catan. And so that's great. And uh, so somebody else wrote a whole thing called Striped Tail Kingdom about the queen of the raccoons. And it's just, anyway, it's on my Discord. They're amazing people. And they contributed a, a lot to my imaginings for the second edition. And then just uh, so great to get to talk with you guys. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. Um, um, where can people find you online? Chris? I am at Hectic Electron on Twitter and Instagram. I'm hecticelectron.com, hecticelectron.itch.io. It's, it's, it's we love Electron a unified everywhere. branding. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You'll be able Mostly to find links. We do too. not have unified branding. <laughs> it was going to be for web design originally, and I still like the name. And yeah. then there's all this online game playing, so it kind of fits. Yeah. And I'm just hectic. Anyway. Yeah. You can find links to all those uh, sites in this um, episode's description. So go give go give Chris a follow on all those uh, social media sites that you are also on, even though you don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, but um, Chris, this is yeah, Chris. This has been uh, a delight. Thank you for taking some time to talk with Claire and I. This has been a ton of fun. Um, we have we have more games to look into now. I don't have to just randomly solicit games to Claire because she knows other people are talking about them too. So it makes my job easier. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So great to talk with you both. This is so much fun. Thanks. Yep. Yep. And we're looking forward to seeing uh what else uh comes from uh comes from you in the future. So uh we'll, we'll, we'll oh definitely God, have so you much back. I didn't even have time to say. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll definitely have you back uh once you've worked more on that uh queer sword and sorcery game. So Or you can come we'll... back and play Raccoon Sky Pirates with us. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Claire, well, watch the people where they can find us online. I will. Uh Please note, I was making a sarcastic comment about unified branding because I made one of our social media accounts before I realized there was a character limit on the other social media account. So we are on Instagram at Relatable Roles Podcast, on Twitter as Relatable Roles. You can find us at RelatableRoles.com to find all of our back episodes, links to our email, and all of our social media sites. 
where you can get a hold of us and let us know cool games that you like that we have not heard of yet. Um, suggestions for things to play, people for us to talk to, all of that feedback we love to get, as long as it is polite and constructive. We are very sensitive. <laughs> or if you have good blurbs, we need a blurb. We do need a blurb. Please give us a blurb. I can't keep stumbling over my intro and then making jokes about stumbling over my intro anytime. It was cute the first three times. It is no longer cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'll work on the blurb. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all we have for today from Relatable Roles. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Bye Elster.